God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to be speaking this morning especially about the, the Old Testament and the Gospel reading. You know how the, the readings work on, uh, in our lectionary, on our readings that we have every week by week. The, usually the, the Old Testament and the Gospel hang together in some way, although sometimes preachers find it obscure just exactly what the connection is, but they're, they're, they're designed to hang together. And then it, it'll be one of the letters or Acts or Revelation, we read that just to, in, a, in a sequence. So I wanna talk about the connection between um, the prophet Amos and uh, this uh, encounter that Jesus has. With, well, we, we call him the rich young ruler. We don't know that, we infer it from the story. So here's, uh, here's the backstory. They, they were slaves. They cried out to God for deliverance. God delivered them. He led them to a mountain and he gave them a holy and a righteous way of life. We say the Ten Commandments. The Jews say the Torah, which means literally the way, the ten words of life, the way of life. Now when, when God gives Moses the covenant, the commandments, the ten words of life for his people, uh, uh, God gives Moses the word of his word to, to convey to his people. And this is what Moses says to the people. He says, uh, hear what the Lord your God says. This day the Lord puts before you life and death. The Ten Commandments, right? Well, how can we summarize them? Well, we do uh, every time we have the Eucharist. Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. This is, to live this way is, is the choice between life and death. Therefore, choose life. He leads them with miraculous food and miraculous drink through the wasteland. He brings them into the promised land. He establishes them there. Under David and Solomon, they become a great nation. And they lose their way. And they start fighting amongst themselves. And there's a civil war. And the tribes in the north uh, rebel against the seat of government in the south. And so from hence on you have Israel in the north and you have Judah in the south. Now when, when the division comes, the northern tribes, that, who, which become the kingdom of Israel, and it's very confusing. You read the Bible, Kings and Chronicles, and they'll say, when so-and-so was king of Judah, and so-and-so was king of Israel, and when so-and-so was king of Israel, and so-and-so was king of Judah, it's the divided kingdoms, right? Um, when Abraham says, a house divided against itself cannot stand, he's talking about the divided kingdoms. But the object lesson is there. And, the, and the, the king in the north has a problem. He doesn't want his people going down to Jerusalem to worship God in Jerusalem. Um, they, they might develop a loyalty to Jerusalem. They might develop a loyalty to the king of Jerusalem. So what is he gonna do? So the king of Israel sets up two shrine cities. Uh, the bonus question for today is, what are the names of the shrine cities? I, I think it's Bethel and Shiloh, but uh, check me out on that. I could be making it up. Um, and he sets up shrines there, and he sets up temples there. And what does he put in the temple? 
What do you think he puts in the temple? Golden calves. Golden calves. You remember the golden calf? So there's a little bit of a memory problem going on here. You know what we call the Eucharist? We call it the anamnesis, the unforgetting. Because this is the human problem, is that we forget constantly who God is and what God has done for us. And it's necessary for us that we should unforget. And here, 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 here it is. They've forgotten who the true living God is. They're turning from the one God to the gods. It is a feature of modernity that we think that the drama of the human heart is a drama between faith and unfaith, or between belief and unbelief. It's, it's, it's the same drama that it's always been. Will we worship and devote ourselves and adore the one true and living God, or will we adore one of the gods of the land? Now, what are, what are balls about? What are bulls about? Well, they're, they're about vitality, aren't they? Right? They're, it's, 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 it's a symbol of vitality. It's a symbol of fertility. It's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of prosperity. I mean, it's not an accident that on Wall Street there's a bull. The bull symbol, it, well, you know, the bull can symbolize, right, a healthy economy. Uh, whose bounties flow out upon all the citizens of the land, or the bull can be an idol to which the interests of our fellow citizens are sometimes sacrificed. Now, the prophets of Israel, and here is Amos. He's, a, he's, one, he's the earliest prophet. And the prophets, uh, they are, sometimes they're religious figures, sometimes they're a priest. Ezekiel was a, prophet, was a priest, uh, Isaiah was a, was a priest. But usually they are, they are people that God has raised up, and often against their will. And Amos is a sheep herder, and a, he's a dresser of sycamore trees, which means what? Well, the sycamore here is a kind of a fig, and you have, it requires a lot of careful maintenance. You have to go out and pick the insects off the fruit so that you get a good harvest and so on. And he lives in the north of Judah near the border with Israel. And God comes to him and says, I want you to go across the border and I want you to go into the land of Israel and I want you to rebuke Jeroboam II, who is the king there. It's about 150 years after the reign of Solomon and the separation of the two kingdoms. I want you to go and rebuke Jeroboam. And tell him, seek the Lord and live. God has put before you life and death, and you're choosing death. You, you have turned aside from the worship of the one true and living God. And this is a very clear message in the prophets of the Old Testament. That, that, that when we become hard-hearted towards God, we become hard-hearted towards each other. When we become hard-hearted towards God, we become hard-hearted towards each other. And that the worship of the idols brings injustice in its trail. And here's the injustice that's going on in the Northern Kingdom. It's, they're very wealthy. They're, they're, they're doing very, very well indeed. Jeroboam is a very, very successful uh, general. 
And he is, uh, he is, he's, he's, he's been very successful in war. And in the ancient world, when there's a war, you get a lot of booty and the booty is coming into the country and the nobility and the, and the, you know, the upper classes are doing very well. There's a lot of affluence. And then also they've got uh, uh, smaller king kingdoms that are now paying tribute to the court. So there's a lot of money flowing through this kingdom. But what is going on is that the wealthy people are using the courts to impoverish and enslave the ordinary people. They're, they're, they're loading them up with so much debt uh, that their only alternative is to sell themselves into slavery in order to survive. And the courts, the legal system, which ought to be the defender of the poor, is in this case uh, an instrument of the wealthy to uh, exploit the poor. And so God says to Amos, I want you to go, and this is the message that I want you to give. And Amos says, thanks, but no thanks. But God compels him to go. And he gives the message. And, and the message is a message of judgment, but it has a message, it has a word of, of, of grace and mercy in it. Nevertheless, turn aside from your wicked ways and choose God and choose life. Uh, the, 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 the life that you've chosen, though it looks great, is really a death. And, and, the, and the death of it will become evident, and it will come upon you with a vengeance. And they don't listen to Amos. Uh, Amos endures the fate of the prophets. Uh, he is uh, ridiculed. Uh, he is persecuted. He is hounded. He is ignored. And 40 years later, everything that he said would happen, happens. And the Assyrians come in and they devastate the northern kingdom and they carry off the cream of the society into exile in, uh, in Assyria. And they settle, they settle veterans of their own army in the land of Israel and those people become the Samaritans and they become a part of the story later on. So what, 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 what can we say about the message of Amos for our, for our own day? Um, if one thing we must say is that the warnings and the promises of the prophets, um, they apply first of all to the church. There's no nation that's the inheritor of the vocation of the nation of Israel. There's no, even the Jewish nation, which is a, a very important very important because it's very important that the Jewish people have a homeland and a refuge from persecution. But even modern Israel is not the inheritor of biblical Israel. The inheritor of biblical Israel is us. We're the new, we're the new Israel. So all of the words of warning of the prophets and all the promises of the prophets are addressed to us. And this choice between life and death is addressed to us. And this this diagnosis of hardness of heart towards our neighbor being an indication that the gods have gotten priority and place in our lives rather than the one true and living God is a word that is addressed to us.
Um, I don't often make, I try very hard actually not to make political comments from the, from the, from the, from the pulpit. I'll see if I can outrage everybody today. Um, I was a young man, I worked with my hands in the building trades. And I grew up on a farm and I made my living when we were first ordained as a farmer. I have watched with dismay the deterioration of the living standard in the working classes of this country. I have watched with dismay the evisceration of uh, uh, rural America. Uh, the life expectancy numbers, the suicide numbers, and the addiction numbers uh, at the bottom of our society and in the center of our country read like numbers that come out of Russia after the collapse of communism. Um, and there's indifference to this. There's hard-heartedness about this. Um, a candidate in the last election from one of the leading parties, which I won't name, in order to protect the guilty, referred to half of the country as deplorable. And another candidate, and another one in the opposite party, which I also will not name in order to protect the guilty, referred to the same swath of the country as takers. There's a hardness of heart, and the hardness of heart is an indication that our first love has been replaced by other loves, and we becoming indifferent to the plight of our neighbors may be that the bull has become not just a symbol of trying to have a healthy economy, but has it become something of an idol and is causing us to be hard-hearted and indifferent. This brings us to this story about the rich young ruler uh, that has this encounter with Jesus today. Now, what is the problem of this young man? Why is this story being told to us? Is it being told to us to teach us that wealth is a bad thing? Is it being told to us to teach us that possessions are a bad thing? Is it being told to us to teach us that prosperity is a bad thing? No. No, I mean, there are some Christians that have always heard this word of the Lord, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. There are some Christians that have always heard that as a personal word that's been addressed to them. This has given rise to the great monastic orders. But that's really... That's not the fundamental point here. What's the, fu the fundamental point is to point to a particular problem. And, and the particular problem is his disordered loves. Uh, prosperity, wealth, possession, these are all good things. And they're all things to be loved. They're all things to be sought. but they're to be sought in their proper order, in their proper way, in their proper place. They're to be ordered by the primary order in our life, which is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and put no false gods before him. The problem of the young man was that 
this choice that Amos had talked about, the choice between life and death, was standing there in front of him in person. And because of his captivity to his disordered loves, when life himself is standing in front of him, he's not able to choose life. When blessing himself is standing in front of him, he's not able to choose blessing. When love himself is standing in front of him, he's not able to choose love. He's so captive to his disordered loves. So with the disciples, then we must say, well, then who can be saved? How is it possible? With God, all things are possible. And from this is what the rest of the gospel of Mark is about. From here on out, Jesus will be talking more and more about his cross and his passion. So how is it that we will be saved? How shall the idols be broken? How shall the captives be set free? How shall the hearts of men and women be softened towards God and towards their neighbors? How shall we be turned back from death to life, eternal life? New life that begins now that the grave cannot hold. How will our disordered lives be reordered by love himself in no other way than by the cross of Jesus Christ? I think you know these words uh, from Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the young prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. With the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.